Get ready to jumpstart your scientific career with practical advice on being a successful and contented scientist. Each episode of the Happy Scientist podcast delivers hands-on, actionable steps you can take to ensure you stay happy, focused, and satisfied in the lab. Available on all popular podcast platforms, hit the subscribe button and start your journey towards a more fulfilling scientific career. The Happy Scientist Podcast. Each episode is designed to make you more focused, more productive, and more satisfied in the lab. You can find us online at bitesizebio.com slash happy scientist. Your hosts are Kenneth Vogt, founder of the executive coaching firm Vera Claritas, and Dr. Nick Oswald, PhD, bioscientist, and founder of Bite Size Bio. Hello, this is Kenneth Vogt, and I've got a special guest today. Nick's not with us, but Adam Pawson is. And the reason why you're going to care about Adam Pawson being here is because Adam Pawson is the Senior Managing Editor for Bite Size Bio. So the topic today is how to become Senior Managing Editor for Bite Size Bio. And you might think, wow, that's rather specific. And it, it kind of is because I, I wanted to I wanted to go down this path of wh- how does somebody get a serious position in science outside of the lab, where they've you know where they've decided that they're going to do something different, but they want to stay in science. And I know that that's uh, an issue for many of the listeners. If they want to be a happy scientist, they got to get out of the lab. <laughs> that's just a fact. Um, that's not true for many scientists, obviously, but it is for a substantial portion, and some of them see it as a failure. If I leave the lab, well, then I'm no longer really a scientist. Um, but that's not true. Uh, there, are, there are many, many career choices out there that that are involved with being in science that require someone who's got the scientific background to do what needs to be done. See, there's a reason why I'm not senior managing editor for Bite Size Bio, because I'm not qualified. I'm I'm not a scientist, as I've, I've mentioned many times on the podcast. But Adam Pawson is, <laughs> so uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take apart how he got here, and you know what came before this, and hopefully it'll it'll give folks some ideas about what they might do with their own careers, and also give some folks some hope that are feeling like, I, I don't know if I can keep doing this and, and they don't want to end up at Burger King. So um, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to dig into a, what, what Adam has, has been down the road with. So um, I, I was looking at, at Adam's LinkedIn profile and there he describes himself as a pharmacologist, bio curator and bioinformatician. If I'm pronouncing that right. <laughs> yeah. Now I know what a pharmacologist is, but uh, those last two were not as obvious to me. So maybe you could define them for us. <laughs> okay. Well, I think um, uh, uh, in my case, actually, biocurator and bioinformatician are, are pretty much the same thing. And um, 
I really need to update my LinkedIn profile. Uh, <laughs> the the bioinformatician is there for a reason. It 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 makes my profile sound a bit more uh, exciting. But the reason um, I chose to include both was um, uh, because I was job hunting after my previous role at uh, at the University of Edinburgh, where I was the senior database curator for um, an open access. Uh, uh, expert curated online resource called the guide to pharmacology um, which uh, captures quantitative uh, pharmacological parameters and information about biological targets and drugs and approved drugs experimental drugs and other molecules um, and the reason I added bioinformatician in there is because actually, broadly speaking, a bioinformatician uses tools to understand and solve biological problems and, and help develop, you know, tools. Um, and uh, there's there's uh, there's two categories really. The one are the developers, you know, those that are trained in 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 uh, computer languages and you know coding which i have absolutely no training in but then there's another category which is the bio or you know curators people that are responsible for um you know uh capturing data um into you know and integrating data into databases and so that's primarily what you know what, what i did um you know bio curation which is organizing and standardizing biological data in my case pharma pharmacological data so that it's useful for researchers so uh yeah i mean i think a lot of people recognize bioinformatician would you know would would be those that are trained in in coding so i'm not one of those so i really should remove that it was for job hunting <laughs> well it was the bio it was the bio part that caught me because i actually i could have been your database guy on that that particular gig that's my background but, <laughs> but well but yeah. well, i guess what this is pointing out here that this this type of of position that you had you know before bite-sized bio at the university of edinburgh that required a PhD scientist. That was and a PhD biologist. You know, not just not just anything. Um, and th that background is what made it possible for you to put together a database and curate a database in such a way that it would benefit researchers, because you knew you'd been there, you'd been at the bench, you know, you knew what they were up against, and you knew what they needed. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So. So after years of doing that, though, you decided to make the move to bite-sized bio, which is also kind of a, a curating kind of position, <laughs> but it's quite different. So, so how did you how did you end up at bite-sized bio, and what exactly are you doing here now? Um, okay, well. I, I mean, it, it, probably a bit of context, uh, you know. So there's two managing editors at Bites Bio. There's Laura Gracian and 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 me, and together we, um, you know, we we oversee the the running of the whole editorial department at Bites Bio and all all the processes involved in in generating you know high quality um, articles and content and copy that you know, that we produce. And um, so Laura largely oversees the in-house editorial projects, working with writers to create 
you know, to produce all the great articles that go on our, our blog, you know, the, the how to and the how it works and the troubleshooting guides and all the tips and that and lots of fun stuff to to help researchers do what they do you know planning experiments and performing them and analyzing data um and you know and then laura's been with bite since the beginning i think nearly <laughs> 15 years or something yeah, so she you know while. she's also really great at ensuring that the bite bio voice gets injected into all the the you know the the copy and the content that we create um and so that's laura okay so on on my side is i i oversee you know running all the client editorial projects uh, primarily and so that's uh, serving uh, you know the the companies that come to us um you know with um with the idea of running a webinar or uh, you know something like that and and so so my role is to is to serve those clients and you know at the same time inspire our community of 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 bioscientists you know the people that uh, regularly visit bites has bio and um you know as you know we do a lot of a huge amount of client work um and you know so the role there is to help the client target their audience and build their brand and deliver their message um and that includes you know through webinars podcasts like this and um application notes and technical articles and then all the other stuff like newsletters and emails adverts and social posts and and, and that and and all that needs content and copy that needs to be generated um and and that's what i do together with you know with the rest of the editorial team and the other departments at bites bio you know like the design team and the projects team that run all the live events um and the challenge there is to is to um distill the client's message and, and the you know the, the client's know-how into something that's going to be a benefit to our community you know turn it into a how-to um, and capturing the those benefits and identifying problems that researchers might encounter in the lab and determining how the client's product or service is going to help them solve those problems and getting that message across um, and then you know as i mentioned with laura's help injecting the the friendly you know, bite-sized bio voice into that into that 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 message to make it engaging and compelling. Um, so that's that's my you know my primary role. But I'm also like uh, sort of the main organizer in the editorial department. You know, facilitating processes and putting systems in place to help ensure that everyone in the editorial team has access to the tools and resources they need in order to achieve what they. What they do very well in the most efficient way possible sure yeah. so many of the things we talk about on this podcast have to do with the call it the extra science part of many of these uh careers where you know as, as you just mentioned i mean you you have to be more than a manager you've got to be a director you've got to you, you've got to do more than just the science it, it's a it's an important part of the of of the job and it's a critical thing to the company we need people who can do that to at bite size buy to get those kind of things done and you know if you hadn't already come with some of those skills um things would be a lot more difficult <laughs> 
And, you know, it's like you mentioned about Laura is familiar with the voice of bite-sized bio, which is very useful. Laura is also a PhD scientist and she's familiar with the voice and that's also a very useful thing. But you bring something additional to the table, which is why we needed you. We, and we, need, we needed someone like you, but you were uniquely qualified because you already had management experience and, and project experience. And, you know, these are additional skills beyond your lab skills that matter, that had to, that have to be there if you're going to develop your career. So this got me thinking, you know, as I was looking at your resume and the things you've done and me all the way back to, you know, university in Cape Town, you know, you've a, you're a man of the world. <laughs> um, did, did you, was this a plan for you? Did, was this what you were thinking at, from the beginning of your career? I'm going to end up out of the lab and doing something completely uh, different with my career. Is that how you saw it going? No, absolutely not. Uh, never. Um, yeah, you know, I'd, I've, throughout my, my uh, research career, I'd, I've always, you know, um, you know, editorial work, uh, you know, uh, ha ha has always been very att attractive to me, you know, the high standards required and, and, and processes. And I, I've always been aware of them, um, you know, as a, as a research scientist. I mean, I, you know, I was on a few journal editorial boards, you know, um, in, in the latter years of, of, my, of my research work. And I found that really gratifying. Uh, it certainly wasn't something that I set out to do when I left school and went to university. Um, but uh, you know, I think uh, when I when I moved into the uh, the biocuration at the database, that then um, required also a lot of additional uh, writing. You know, not uh, writing scientific papers, but um, you know, producing um, overviews and and uh, introdu introductions to to um, you know the the material that was on the database and um you know so at that point um you know again it the the idea of editorial work um you know came to a fore and, and yeah so i've i've always been interested in it but it was certainly not something that i set out to do when i when i went to university sure but you did keep an open mind as as your career was expanding and it allowed you to see some opportunities that might not have been obvious earlier. Oh, absolutely. You know, and the, um, you know, one of the first things that, that was highlighted to me when I when I finished my my research career, um, you know, was that there's the the science writer opportunity um, out there, and uh, I briefly explored it, um, but you know, I, I, um, in in the few months between between jobs, but it didn't really get any traction there. Um, and, you know, and then I found the, the curator job, but, you know, it was certainly highlighted that, you know, becoming a science writer is an option if you leave research. Yeah. All right. So, so that's a question to ask. Did, do you feel like you left research or were you going to something else? Hmm. It's an interesting, <laughs> interesting question. I, um, the way it all happened, Ken, was I felt like I was booted out of research. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. The, the the way things um, sort of uh, panned out. I mean, um, 
weird um you know I, I i did my postdoc when i finished my phd in cape town i came over to edinburgh and did a postdoc with the Mes medical research council and um i was supposed to go back to um you know to cape town after a couple of years but uh, i i managed to uh figure out a way to, to stay on and and uh, with the with the mrc and eventually, I, I, you know, I was moved after a few years, I was moved on to a career track position as a senior investigator scientist. And eventually I had, you know, a couple of PhD students and a postdoc. And the next step was going to be, you know, running, running um, a lab, you know. Um, and, right. um, and then uh, we had uh, what they called a, a quinquennial review. The MRC conduct these strategic reviews every five years. Um, for for each of their units in the UK, and they shut us down. Um, uh, you know, uh, it was a, a very long, painful process over over a, a, a whole year, and most of us were made redundant. Uh, a few um, of the senior uh, scientists were moved into university positions, but yeah, I wasn't one of them, and. Uh, um, so yeah, I felt like I was booted out at the time. I, I, I was not prepared to to start from scratch as a postdoc, you know, junior postdoc um, again. And there were no positions in Edinburgh or Glasgow or, or Newcastle um, that I was particularly interested in, in in any case. And I was I was settled in the area with my partner, so moving further afield really wasn't an option. So um, yeah, so that's how it happened. <laughs> Like what you're hearing? Ready to supercharge your scientific career? Discover practical advice on what it takes to be a successful scientist without sacrificing happiness. Learn the importance of meeting your human needs, identifying and unlocking your charisma factors, discovering your core mindsets, and much more. Subscribe to the Happy Scientist podcast and download the Happy Scientist reference pack and get started on your journey to becoming a happier scientist today. Subscribe now and check the show notes to download. Okay, well, what what one of the things that comes to mind here is that the reason you still had prospects is because they were you had built them in already. You had kept your interests in you know broad enough that you you weren't so stylized. Look, I got to be in a lab. In fact, I got to be in this lab, and you know you still you still could shift and take a career somewhere because these kind of things happen stuff that you don't anticipate and often don't have anything to do with you, they drop in on you and now your career has now been sidetracked and you're thinking, where did I go wrong? And you, and you didn't really go wrong anywhere. Um, you, we, time and unforeseen occurrence befall us all is what Solomon said. <laughs> and, and it's so true. But, you know, you, so you landed on your feet though. That's, that's interesting. And well, not just interesting. It's not surprising, honestly. At this point, I've I've uh, had enough interaction with you that yeah, I I suspect you can you can pivot if necessary. But I did not. I have noticed that from again from your LinkedIn profile, you still you still do some publishing yourself though. So what uh, is is why are you doing that, and or maybe why is that important to you? Uh, well. It it's not as important as it used to be um and uh, you know obviously when you when you're in research um you know and, and applying for grants and, and funding it's very important to have the publications uh, um but uh, to be honest uh, most of the 
well, in fact, all the, the most recent uh, publications, um, Ken, are as a result of, you know, my uh, contributions to various projects at the end of, of you know, my previous role at, at the at the Guide to Pharmacology database. So, um, yeah, unfortunately, those are going to dry up. Well, I say unfortunately. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, that's that's just how it is. Um, how the cookie crumbled. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what I, what I really need to do now is is start focusing on publishing, uh, you know, um, articles on, on, on the Bite Size Bio um, blog. I mean, I've, I haven't published a single one yet. I've been with Bite Size Bio for a year, and that needs to change. I just need to make the time. Um, Laura has been very patient with me and uh, <laughs> Nick, I'm sure too. So, Well, I, I will, I will encourage them both to be less patient because <laughs> yes, I, I think it would be fantastic to, to see something from you at Bitesize Bio specifically. Um, yeah. so this, this all kind of leads back into something that we had, we had back and forth about a little bit on an email, this, this notion of imposter syndrome, um, and it seems to be a, a big issue for a lot of highly educated people, not just scientists. But, um, you know, I mean, you've been doing this a long time now. You've been, you know, professional, a professional scientist by any definition for at least 20 years. Um, do you feel like you no longer have to prove that, that you're competent? Do you feel like you're no longer faking it and somebody's going to call you out? <laughs> Uh, well, I guess so. I, I, I don't really know. I think, um, you know, uh, I do sometimes still, uh, you know, doubt, doubt my abilities. And, and to be honest, I think perhaps that's, that's because, you know, I've, I've started a, a new role. I mean, okay, I'm a year into it, but there's still a lot to learn. Um, so, uh, you know, maybe the new transition, um, which I love, by the way, is, um, you know, does, you know, make me make me doubt my abilities um, at time, but at times. But I think you know that that's probably normal for anyone starting in a new role. Um, but I, you know, I think uh, you know the other thing is I, I've always been a perfectionist. Um, I, you know, I'm a Virgo. If you if you believe in that kind of thing, I, I don't. Um, and you know, and, <laughs> it's worth it's worth mentioning, but I don't believe it for a minute. But it's worth mentioning. <laughs> well, um, the, you know, and 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 maybe um, you know, because you're always, you know, you're aiming for perfection, but you're never going to achieve it. So you 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 you're setting yourself up for you know, for, for, for failure or, you know, being disappointed with yourself. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, to be honest, I'd never heard of imposter syndrome until I came to Bite Size Bio and listened to a podcast, <laughs> uh, but it makes a well, lot of yes. sense. And for those who would like to hear that podcast, it was called getting past imposter syndrome. It was episode 10 and we'll have it in the show notes. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, the other thing is, I, I think that um, uh, I do feel like I've been very lucky uh, throughout my career. I, you know, I've, I've had amazing opportunities. It's not that I haven't worked for them, uh, but I have had doors opened, you know, for me, uh, you know, in, in the, the few career transitions that I've had. Um, and, uh, you know, and these have, have, these opportunities have, have really presented themselves 
themselves to me because I've had connections, um, you know, that, that have sort of, you know, opened those doors. And, um, you know, even though I had to apply and, and prepare and interview for those roles, um, you know, I, I had connections there and, uh, I, th there's nothing wrong with that, I guess. Uh, um, well, of course. And, and, and I, you're being a bit modest there. You fostered those connections and you earned those connections. It's not just like, well, I just happen to be, it's, it's not like my daddy knew somebody. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, well said there. That's a good way of looking at it. I'll remember that <laughs> fostering them. Well, yeah, definitely. And it, it points to another episode that I, I will also be in the show notes. Does humility harm your career? Episode 40. <laughs> so, um, you know, and this is something that I have noticed, noted about, about Adam and, you know, we, we don't interact a whole lot because we don't have a lot of crossover in, in what we do, but we do interact on occasion and, you know, you do have a modest nature and it's, and it's actually quite valuable in the role that you're taking. You don't, you know, you, you, you don't jump to things. You don't, um, you know, you don't overreact. You're, you're calm in a storm. You can, you can handle live problems because you don't, you don't overtax yourself. You don't push yourself beyond your limits and you, you, you know where your limits are. And that, and that's knowing yourself is a really valuable thing for any career, but in science, I mean, the harm that can be done by people that that are not looking at the guards, you know, is is tremendous. I mean, and it, whether it's harm, physical harm or ethical harm, there's there's a lot of lot of ways where being serious and focused is so critical in having a successful career in bioscience. So, you know, I, I, you know, you've been exhibiting that in in you know your entire career, and and you definitely do at Right Size Bio. And, and it makes you a real foil for for Laura Grassi because um, she <laughs> Laura Laura's a she's a firebrand and she's dynamic and amazing. In fact, well, you know, I'll have her on in the future too. Y'all get to to hear her. And but there's there's a mix there. And then Laura actually was involved in in the hiring process for you because she knew she knew there's that she had some holes and and you turned out to be the right person to fill those holes and that's been very good for bite-sized bio and i believe very good for the bite-sized bio community too it's it's impacted the quality of the content that's out there yeah laura and i work very well together i think that uh, the uh, you know the differences in our approach to, to you know our thinking and 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 that is is very well suited to to our individual roles um yeah right and it, so, so the the whole upshot of all of this has been: if you are working in the lab and you're thinking, I don't know if this is right for me, or I'm worried that this lab's going to go away, or this grant's going to go away, and I might have to do something different. And is there even a possibility of doing something different? Adam Pawson is a shining example of what can happen when things change, but you still want to stay a scientist there are possibilities out there. There are opportunities. And granted, this particular job is taken, <laughs> but there are others, you know, there's other things out there in the world that one can do. And like, like what you were describing at, uh, at when you were at the university of Edinburgh, I, I didn't even know there were such positions. 
I mean, that's just a that's a fascinating thing. And sometimes we just, you know, you don't know until you start looking around, until you start asking questions and and you know talking to other people and saying what else is out there? What do what do you know about? And so today we had a chance to find out what one of your brethren knew about and acted on. So, uh, Adam, I thank you so much for for coming in today and allowing us to pick your brain and and share some highlights from from your career that may inspire some other folks to to uh, move on with their own careers. That's great. Thank you, Ken. All right. Thank you. And if you want to see more, Nick's going to tell you more about it in just a moment. Thank you for listening to the Happy Scientist podcast, helping you to become a happier, healthier, and more productive scientist. To get more Happy Scientist podcast episodes and all of our downloadables, please go to bitesizebio.com forward slash the happy scientist, all one word. And in particular, you might want to spend some time on episodes one to nine, where we talk about the foundational principles of human needs, core mindsets, and charisma factors, which we refer to in many episodes. You can also hook up with us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the happy scientist podcast, all one word, to get latest episodes and additional material. We hope to see you there. The Happy Scientist is brought to you by Bite Size Bio, your mentor in the lab. Bite Size Bio features thousands of articles and webinars contributed by hundreds of PhD scientists and scientific companies who freely offer their hard-won wisdom and solutions to the Bite Size Bio community. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode and want to keep learning practical tips on being a happy and successful scientist, don't wait any longer. Subscribe to the Happy Scientist podcast and download the Happy Scientist reference pack today. And together, let's reignite that passion for science that first got you into the lab. Remember, you can find us on all major podcast platforms. So hit that subscribe button now and check the show notes to download.